Let's move into, into 98, <clears throat> which is really delightful. Probably most recognizable verse, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. In the previous hymnal, this was a refrain to the Psalms. Mark. No, because that's not the way they rolled the scrolls. They didn't roll them top down. They rolled them right to left. So you're just talking about over the next page and not, uh, yeah, not, and not this way. But, yeah, but that, but that, that, but uh, the idea of the bottom line going with the top line and so forth is not just about scroll work. Um, because sometimes uh, uh, a poem written in clay or stone will do the same thing. In fact, there's a famous kind of poetry that is extremely rare where uh, 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 alphabet psalms in the Bible are called acrostic because they're based on the first letter matching up with the alphabet. Or when, when a young man is in love and he'll write his girlfriend's name down the line and then have a line of poetry for every letter of her name. You know, little birds that twitter, elves and deer and gnats. I won't quote you the whole thing, but I've written many in my life for different girls. And uh, when I was, you know, in high school and so forth. Uh, but there was a pharaoh who wrote a poem once. It was not just an acrostic, it was a telostic. So the last letters went together and a mesostic where the middle letters went together. But because it was cuneiform or, or, or whatever he would have been using, there are only three characters. So you can read the poem this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, like a tic-tac-toe, like any way, and it would be a poem saying different things. Crazy, but brilliant. Um... And I read about that, and now Mark's going to be after me for the next two weeks to find it somewhere, like you were with a sewn ship. Uh, and I'm just going to admit, I don't know where that is. I, it, I, I saw it somewhere, and now it's gone. But you might be able to find it online. But It doesn't work that way. <clears throat> that just makes, makes me go to sleep. But, this, but Psalm 98, we also know, because of Isaac Watts and the music by George Frederick Handel, we also sing this and we call it Joy to the World, Psalm 98. So a true orphan, not even the Greeks gave this uh, an author, but a psalm. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Uh, so what God does and his arm and his hand there in the middle lines are what does everything, and singing the Lord is our praise for him. And on the bottom, who has worked the salvation? Who is it who accomplished our salvation? Jesus. Jesus, yeah, it's God himself. And the psalm says that. Psalm 98, make sure we understand his right hand, his holy arm. By the way, who is God's right hand man? Christ, yeah. So when he sits at the right hand of God, he's the one, the right arm, who worked salvation for him. And by the way, for him, not for God's benefit as if he needed saving, 
But the number one reason that God does everything is for his glory. So if at the end of the Psalms unit that we're doing right now, I give you a quiz, that's a really interesting idea. Um, uh, so I, <laughs> this mor the morning's class is filled with teachers and they're like, no! Yeah, what goes around comes around. But uh, so, um, but if I were to, you know, what, Neil, name three reasons why God did this or did that. The number one reason is always for his own glory. God glorifies himself in what he does. And then he might do a thing because he has compassion on us and because he wants us to turn to him in repentance. Those are typical guesses. And you look at the text and you figure out which one fits. You know, but the number one reason why God does things is for his own glory. And we are just fine with giving him glory for what he does. He is, after all, God um, in every way. Under Psalm 100, we're going to get to some of, the some of the categories of God's attributes. That'll be next week, I think, but that's going to be an interesting little discussion for a minute. Yeah, Mark? Oh, sure. Taking away from God what, is, what belongs to God. Yeah, the devil is a thief and a liar and, pardon me, but a jerk, and he is never your friend. And our young people need to hear that, that the devil is never your friend. Um, he is always after ruining you. And what did, what did the father say at the foot of the Mount of Transfiguration? This demon keeps trying to kill my son, by throwing him into fire or water. He wants to kill your body as well as your soul. And if he could kill your soul, you know, make you question your faith and then kill your body, then he's, he's got you, right? Yeah. All right. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. Have you heard that before? No. Where have you heard that before? It's from the lips of Mary. It's part of the Magnificat. Um, she says he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. So it's part of Mary's song of praise when she finds out that she's pregnant with the, with the Savior. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And of course, that will be true on Judgment Day. But the ends of the earth, there are those who have also seen the salvation coming and gave God glory for it during Christ's ministry on earth. When did the Gentiles come to praise Jesus? At various times? When? The Magi, yeah, one, when the wise men came with their gifts. Also, at the end of things, during Holy Week, one of the apostles brings some Gentiles to hear Jesus in the middle of one of his discourses. It kind of comes and goes, and I think it's in Luke's Gospel, but all of a sudden, it's just there. Just, oh yeah, he brought these Gentiles and to, to speak to Jesus, and Jesus keeps on talking, but they were there. They're represented right at the very end. And occasionally, there will be a centurion who will, you know, come and have, come and cure my servant or my daughter or whatever. You know, I say to this man, go and he goes and come and he comes and you don't have to come to my house. So you've got those. In fact, you can almost say at the beginning, middle and end of Jesus' ministry, the Gentiles 
There are some Gentiles who are coming in all the time. Uh, four, five, and six go together, just as seven and eight, seven, eight, and nine go together. This, I'm, if you want to turn your page at about this point, um, this is a different kind of parallelism. It's not. Re, it's internally there is some uh, 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 synonymous and synthetic things, but really, it's each each verse builds on the previous one, and it's sometimes called a staircase parallelism, where you've got. This, and then again, and then again in some way. And so, listen to the thing here, 4, 5, and 6. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp, different harp, and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, two different kinds of horns. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. So all this is about making music. The difference between the trumpet and the ram's horn is that the ram's horn is an actual horn from a, from a ram, and they would, it, would, it would be hollowed out, and then you blow really hard. You can buy a shofar online. It's, I don't know, like $200, but it, it takes a lot of wind, though. Um, one of my associates would be great at it. <laughs> I'm going to let that sit there. Just... Um, and uh, the trumpet would be a straight metal trumpet, actually. The, you know, just a straight trumpet. Um, but all of these things, all of these different kinds of music, whatever you can do, produce it and shout for joy to the Lord. And the shout for joy, notice, is at the beginning and the end of this section. Um, to, uh, so give him, give him praise. Then we go into the next trio of verses, we're almost at the end of the psalm here, but let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, let the rivers clap their hands and they'll let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. So the sea resounds. Um, what kind of noise does the sea make? There is that wash right, to the sea, it's that, that roar that is constant. And if, it's, if you're at the right distance away, it's very soothing. If you're right up next to it, though, it can be, you know, it can drive you crazy. But when it's the, the right distance, it's beautiful and everything. Um, and, however, not just the sea, but everything in it. Um, if you've ever heard, uh, you know, you, you, whale song occurs above water, you know, if they're right there next to the boat, you can hear their, their music as they're singing um, or the, the clicks and so forth of the dolphins and other, other fish and other animals in the sea make noise. Um, there is the slap of a ray if it comes above the water for a while and then comes back down. There's a really satisfying whack, like a whale's tail. Um, and, uh, but that noise that the, that the ocean makes and the world, and all who live in it, uh, let the rivers clap their hands. We talk about rivers running, and it's almost as if you can imagine that a river could have legs, but that's not what it says here, right? River, we don't think of rivers being able to clap, but where would a river make a slapping noise? Maybe the shore, but I'm thinking the rocks, like in the rapids, where it, the water starts to, you know, rush a little bit and make that slapping noise. But maybe it's not talking about that at all. Maybe it's just anthropomorphizing that a river could 
haul off and clap. You know. But there is that um, R word with a, with, a, with a pond or a lake is also to lap, right, at the shore. Do we talk that way about water lapping um, and so forth? So any kind of a noise that the water makes. But then let the mountains sing together for joy. Before I comment on, on how I think this has two meanings, because the mountains could just be opening their mouths, right, like a little kid drawing to sing. But I've also heard mountains changing their tune. Um, anybody want to add to their own impression of that? When I was a missionary, um, I was in, uh, 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 in the Cascade Mountains. And the, the wind in the mountains is different than it is on the prairie. You know, I grew up in, in central Wisconsin uh, in between the flesh pots of Madison and the belching smokestacks of Portage. There are, there's that golden area of like Poinette and Columbus and other areas. It's a beautiful place to live. Um, but there were no mountains. Even Tim's Peak in Wisconsin is technically not a mountain. It's only 9,000 feet tall. But you get out west and the mountains begin to show up and some of them are absolutely stunning in their magnificence and their height. And I've seen Mount St. Helens and Mount Hood and Mount Rainier was out my kitchen window. But when I was, but just south of where I was a missionary was a place called Black Diamond. And in that area, about 10 or 20 miles from my home, you get down there and the, and the mountains are like a little kid's drawing of mountains. Um, and, and, a, and a really young kid's drawing of mountains because it was a totally flat plain and... Uh, what are they called? They're the they're the candies that just kind of stick up like this. Not gumdrops, but like uh, like candy corn. So these little things that would be like whoop, and then back down, and covered in grass and trees. And you're like, well, that's weird. And then about 300 yards, another one. You know, and all over the place, just these like 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 the, like the friendliest giant's lower teeth. You know, just sticking up like that, and there it is. And and uh, and when you're in between them, visiting the next house or the next ranch, the sound of the wind changes from peak to peak. Um, and uh, that's a phenomenon that you see in big cities, in up in Minneapolis, um, you know, in Chicago, not so much in Mil the Milwaukee area, but but in the Twin Cities, in in um, Los Angeles, in Seattle, we saw it where they have to change the shape of the skyscrapers and you get, you get tall, tall buildings and all of a sudden they'll have like some goofy angle or some curved thing and you think, well, what, what award was he trying to win? But that's not it. It's because they designed those buildings in a wind tunnel and they, re and they realize if this is just a straight face and a straight face, people down on the, on the ground will get pushed over by the wind it'll pick up Volkswagens and throw it but if I angle this building it'll it, the, the, the wind won't do that at, at ground level so that's why those things happen in, in reality now things are things are crazy in the Middle East now where they're just trying to build the world's tallest whatevers and they're just buildings built for no reason but but in, 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 in the industrial hearts of America and, and London and other places, you get those strange shapes because of the wind 
And then it also, but it also changes the sound of the area. When a new building goes up, the sound changes. So the mountains kind of sing. Um, on the other hand, our psalm writer might just be talking about like a little kid drawing, like I said, where a mountain just all of a sudden just opens its mouth and hollers or whatever. And that's okay too. But let them sing before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. The whole creation cares, right, about God. And here we have the idea that sometimes shows up in other places. It's the clearest in Romans 8 with regard to creation giving God praise. And that's the little child's question. Will there be animals in heaven? And what's the answer? I was given the wrong answer as a child. I was told in no uncertain terms, no, there will not be animals in heaven. Then I get to the seminary and the world's most brilliant theologians have written or are teaching me in Romans 8, I'm not sure. It kind of seems like there will be animals in heaven in Romans 8 where the creation aches to be restored by God. All creation longs for this. And that's creation apart from the human race. It's the, the other part of creation, which is, yes, the grass and the trees, but also the birds and the fish and things and all of this aches to be restored. And what did God give Adam and Eve in, the, in paradise? But a garden and animals in the, and fruit and, you know, and, 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 and things to eat and so forth. And so will heaven have all of these things? Um, I say that out loud here in the class because years ago we had, uh, I'll just say a called worker and his wife who were members of St. Paul's, but they weren't part of our St. Paul's staff. And when I would talk about heaven in those terms, in a, in a, like in the pulpit, um, this called worker's wife would really lay into me and leave phone messages or write nasty notes or, or upset notes about there certainly can't be animals in heaven and, and you know, because what she learned when she was little. And she would also always correct me incorrectly about other things I said would be in heaven. Uh, I want to go on record to make sure everybody understands, I have never in my life implied that there would be baked potatoes in heaven. Mashed potatoes, of course, but not baked potatoes, um, just because. Um, I, oh sure, oh sure. For, I think if it wasn't there yet, my wife would have introduced it by now. Um, and, uh, um, but that also goes into the, almost playful end of nighttime prayers and I won't I'm not exaggerating but I did once ask God if sorry if he would like sunglasses because my wife's radiance was making things a little bit brighter in heaven um sorry um very fond of Kath let's go to the last verse of this uh, section he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. And uh, at, uh, 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 didn't we have this at the beginning? Um, yeah, the uh, salvation, right? And righteousness and justice at the beginning of 97. And now here at the end of 98, 
Righteousness and how is equity different than justice? You know, they're kind of the same thing. So another way to look at this psalm, by the way, in that way I gave you with Psalm 97, is to line up the lines. Uh, and uh, so if we do it this way, salvation and judge, makes you wonder if this one does that. But then you go to salvation is made known and the mountains sing and everybody has seen it and everybody who lives claps and then the song and then all the trumpets and the horns and all that and make music and it makes you think, yeah, I think this kind of does that too. This is called a chiasmus or a chiasm. Chi is the Greek letter X. And so if you line up two things on the sides, the top of one goes with the bottom of the other and so forth. I did it here another way so that you can see it working a little bit differently, but that's just, so just, just done, it's, they're done across from each other here rather than in an X shape, but it's the same principle, but this chiasm. Chiasm is spelled C-H-I-A-S-M, which sounds like a radio station call letter. W-I-A-S-M, anyway, or whatever. No, west of the mountains, it's always K something, right? That's what I learned when I was growing up, that W's are east of the Mississippi and K's are west of the Mississippi. Like uh, the, 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 the TV station in, in, in uh, Mankato is CARE, K-A-R-E, CARE 11. Or is that the city, wherever it is, but it's that kind of a thing but I grew up listening to WISM in Madison, you know, things like that. But it's a different way of, so you can tell. Ironically, the W is on the east, but whatever. (laughs) My hometown radio station was WIBU, wind is being used, they said. Yeah, point at. It was the world's first 24-hour, seven-day-a-week polka station for a little while. Let's go on with Psalm 99, shall we? Uh, I worked there for one day as a janitor. W-I-B-U point Got paid cash and was told this probably isn't for you because I showed up with a, a tie and a sweater on and a, a riding a bicycle. And the guy said, you know what? You can work today, but I don't think this is for you. And the next day I was hired at McDonald's. But anyway, that was one of those moments in my life. Psalm 99, he sits enthroned between the cherubim. What's a cherub? Or what are cherubim again? Angels, yeah. How many, how many wings do cherubim have? Cherubim are just two. Seraphim have six. Cherubim just flap like birds. But if I can put it that way, or like doves. But seraphim are only appear in the Bible in Isaiah 6. And they have two wings covering their face, two wings covering their feet, and with two wings they're flying. Those are the seraphim. But the cherubim are more ordinary angels. Sometimes the cherubim usually have the face of young men, but in the book of Zechariah, they have women's faces sometimes. So usually young men, though. All right, 99, also an orphan, still refers to judgment, but the focus has by now shifted completely over to God's gracious dealings with his people. So we'll go right to the cherubim on the ark. There you see a picture, excuse me, of the Ark of the Covenant. Luther always laughed at that cover. Uh, That thing they're sitting on, 
is a solid slab of gold? How much would a solid slab of lead, four and a half feet by three feet, how, 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 how heavy would that be? Uh, a span. Is that four inches? That's a monstrosity of a cover, right? That's what that thing weighed. Lead and gold are the same weight, right? Virtually. That thing is solid gold. It would weigh the same thing as something of solid lead. The cover, just the cover. And Luther would say, in what way is that a seat? But in the Old Testament, it's called the atonement seat. You know, who could sit on that thing? Except the Holy Spirit, of course. You know, and he's never really depicted that way, although I've wondered about that myself. But it's, or the mercy seat, it's sometimes called. And what happened there? Nothing. The high priest once a year would sprinkle blood on it. That's really what happens there. I don't know what blood does to gold, if unwashed over time. I mean, blood wouldn't damage the gold, but would the blood get dark or something or get kind of crusty? Would you, would you wash it off? I know that if I were the high priest and Kath were my high priest's wife, before I would go in there with my censer and my blood, she would also stick Windex in the back pocket. Maybe you should clean that before you do anything else with it. But um, just to be sure, would you do that to him too? Probably, yeah. Here's a, here's a wipe and go in there. But um, yeah, to pour the blood out on the thing. But we also see here, with the Lord reigns, let the nations ch- tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim, let the earth shake. Notice the second and fourth lines are similar and the first and third lines are similar. So you have, first of all, the rule. The Lord reigns and he sits enthroned. That's the ruling section. And then the other two lines are the trembling or shaking section. Nations tremble, earth shakes. See how the, how the poetry here works? Once again, the formatting can help you to see sometimes what you don't see in the printed text. If you write it out by hand, you know, or fool around with it on the computer. You can adjust the formatting to make it seem... Because, wow, in Hebrew, it's just a block. It's not, it's not arranged in a very pretty way. Maybe David wrote it out in a nice way. But the copyists wanted to save room. And it just, it just it, it doesn't look like poetry any longer. It looks like, you know, a big block of... The kind of fine print you don't read when you buy an appliance, that's what it looks like. like. Okay. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. So the Lord is above Zion, the church, and the nations, the, the rest of the world. In a Venn, you don't all know what a Venn diagram is? We have like circles that intersect at some point. In the Venn diagram of the world and the church, where is the church? It is inside of the world. It's not, there isn't part of the church that's outside the world. Um, but here we have, for the church, the Lord is great. For the nations, he must be exalted. And now, more than half of the remaining psalm, let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. There's almost a call and response here, isn't there? The Lord is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. Again, justice and equity. In Jacob, you have done what is just and right. 
So might, justice, equity, justice, and right, all in verse 4. That's quite a verse all by itself. And Jacob, parallel to Zion, so Jacob would be specifically Israel. And then exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. And again, he is holy. There are three of those he is holies in this psalm. One will end the psalm. So in the verse 3 at the top of this section, praise God's awesome name. And then in verse 5, the bottom of this section, we worship humbly at his footstool. What is the, the Lord's footstool usually in the Bible? The earth. The earth is his footstool. The, de- the devil is, is uh, the Lord's got his foot on the devil's neck. But the actual footstool is just, just the earth. The earth is his footstool. Yeah. That was a really good, that was a profound thing to say, though. Now, the, I told you there was a verse that spoke to the, the year or the years when the Psalms were written, most of them. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. If you were going to talk about the great names, you know, of, of the priests, sure, Moses and Aaron, right? But if you were just going to randomly come up with an Old Testament prophet, who might you pick? Isaiah, Isaiah really comes to mind, doesn't he? Or maybe Jeremiah. Or if you want a prophet who didn't do any writing, the, 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 who is the great prophet who got taken up into heaven? You know, Elijah. But the psalm writer comes up with Samuel and it makes me think, oh, well, Isaiah and Elijah and Elisha, and they hadn't lived yet. So Samuel is the example of the prophet that he has. This makes this psalm pretty early. It's just a hint. But I think it's enough of a hint to, to be something we could actually use. To, to, to help date this particular psalm. Go ahead, Mark. A ton, yeah. It takes six guys to lift it. Yeah, yeah. But that's, in my mind, a ton is the, the, the lifting weight of six men, you know, depending on what it is. That's a monastic argument, not a theological one. We'll just go on from there. But again, the pillar of cloud, a reference to the glory of the Lord. And then in the last two verses of our, of our psalm here, O Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. So again, law and gospel. And exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. So his holiness is concludes the psalm. It was there in verses 3 and 5, and here again in verse 9, finishing up the psalm as well. But uh, that's all I have on Psalm 99, I think, or that's enough to say. Um, But a fascinating little trio. If it's okay with you, we'll pick it up next Tuesday after Thanksgiving. Those of you who might be traveling, I pray you have good weather and driving conditions and so forth. Or if you're driving to just another part of town, Enjoy yourself. Um, 
And uh, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thanks for letting me do this. One, you've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Orleans, Minnesota.